When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. This is Simon Rose. You join us for the business of film, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. That little clip from uh, Jimmy Cagney there, from I think Yankee Doodle Dandy, sort of reminds me of uh, how short uh, acceptance speeches should be, but so rarely are. But we might talk about some awards later on, James. Let's begin by talking perhaps about the uh, the box office. Well, indeed, you may recall that last weekend it was a huge jump of sixty four point seven percent due to one film, which is very, very long, called The Batman, mm. which I found turgid, boring. I was fighting sleep in the third hour. It goes on for two hours and mm. over three quarters. Uh, I know people who have liked it, but I've never been a huge film of film noir, and this is the film noir version of Batman. And if you like film noir, maybe you will love it. I, well, I, I do just... like film noir, but I'm not quite sure that uh, I would associate film noir necessarily with comic book characters. Well, I know that Matt Reeves, who directed it, is trying to move away from the comic book by humanising the villains, and indeed Bruce Wayne, played by mm. Robert Pattinson. But my feeling is, well, if you're trying so hard to do that, why don't you take something that's based on, <laughs> you know, real real life. Yes. Um, well, thank goodness they it. haven't. Thank goodness they haven't yet said they're going to remake Double Indemnity, but it can't, probably can't be long. Um, so, right. is that still number one, James? It is still number one. Uh, it made seven point four million quid last weekend, which is down quite a whopping forty five point three percent. But it's still got a total of twenty six point five million pounds. And globally, it has amassed $463 million <laughs> just in 10 days. So it's doing incredibly well. Inevitably, there will be a sequel. Mm. So we'll have Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck, and Robert Pattinson all playing Batman in different films. Oh, grief. So if you love Batman, you're in seventh heaven. Anyway, I shall go back and watch the uh, the movie version of the old uh, Adam West TV show. Which oh, I that's going enjoyed. back a bit. Yeah, but the the actual film is hilarious. Um, I had such fond memories. I used to stay when I visited Los Angeles. I used to stay with Alan Napier, who played Alfred. Oh yes, opposite Adam West. Um, yes, he was a very entertaining gentleman. Oh, how wonderful! Anyway, oh, uh, number two, we have Uncharted, which was at number two, down 21% in its fifth weekend with a total of 21.8 million pounds. At number three, this is a one-off. This is BTS Permission to Dance on Stage, which was a live what? viewing from Seoul in South Korea. Now, right. BTS is the leading boy band oh, in yeah. the world. 
they are South Korean and they do come up periodically, rather like um, Andreas Rio. Uh, yes. Andre. And they're incredibly okay. popular. Yes. And uh, they made just from this one, one performance a, a few pence shy of £900,000, wow. which is, the, I think, the, their biggest yet. At number four, we've got Sing 2, which was at number three, down 21%. So these films aren't dropping. If you remember last weekend, it was like a bloodbath. All the films had just plummeted percentage-wise from the previous weekend. Mm. But here they're now holding their own. And Sing 2 is only down 21%, with a total of 31.3 million. So it's eclipsed the original cartoon, which I loved and you loved less. At number five, we've got The Duke, which I loved and you loved less down 27% for a total of 3.9 million. Mm. A friend of mine was desperate to see it, and he, his local, it was con- completely booked up for the entire week, and he couldn't get a seat. Well, I'm rather glad. So, yeah, we've got I mean, Jim Broadbent yeah. and Robert Pattinson. Yeah. The whole spectrum of British stars. I'm surprised, I'm surprised, though, that it's only number five, if that is the case. Well, I know. But then... Well, Sing 2 is just doing incredibly well. I mean, it is very skewered towards the younger viewers, which is why I think it's baffling that a film like Turning Red hasn't been allowed a cinema release, which we'll be talking about later, and has been premiered directly on Disney+. Plus. Yes, um, yes. And again, I think the reason that Dog, which is at number six, which is, hasn't moved, in fact, it's gone up 1% for a total of £3 million, I think they're pushing that as a, as a child-friendly film, although I beg to differ. At number seven, we've got Death on the Nile, which was at number five, down 19%. And the big surprise, for me anyway, it's only gone down 5%. At number eight is Spider-Man No Way Home, with £96 million closing in on No Time to Die. It's now got 700,000 to go to become the third highest grossing film of all time in the UK. Wow. And yet, um, I did actually look at some times of this, see if I go with my son at the weekend, and it's, it's not on many performances at my local multiplex. You've got to go at slightly odd times to catch it. It's most days, only one or two performances a day and not in the evening. I found that with my local multiplex because I do know a few... Younger people who are mm. quite keen to see it because they've heard such good things about it mm. and they're finding it hard to see. But where it is, it is still drawing them in. Yeah. At number nine, we've got Radi Shai Am, which is a Telugu romantic drama set in the 1970s in Europe. Telugu, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, being one of the 447 native languages in India. Usually, wow. these films that get into the top 10 over here are in Hindi, yes. which, of course, is the, sort of the national language mm. in India. But they do have 447 native languages and over 2,000 different tongues, including dialects um, and English, of course. So it's quite unusual for a Telugu uh, film to get into the top 10 and to be such a huge hit. Mm. Mm. But anyway, that's quite interesting. At number 10, we've got Belfast down 20% with a total of 14.8 million, making it sit tight. The highest grossing black and white film of the century. Really? 
And in fact, yeah, it's well, black and white films don't actually do that well at the box office. But I suppose the reigning one of all in terms of gross would still be Schindler's List. But that was last century. Yes, it was. Roma presumably, oh, well, it hardly showed in cinemas. Well, no, it went straight to yeah. uh, Netflix. Um, there have been a lot of black and white films recently. Like come on, come on and passing. passing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Mm. Um, at number 11, we have Clifford the Big Red Dog. And I, I mention this because it's gone up 24%. Good grief. For a total of £9.9 million. And while we're in the red colour, we have a new film at number 12 called Red Rocket, which opened at 168 cinemas with a per screen average of £445. Red Rocket is the latest film from Sean Baker, he who directed Tangerine and The Florida Project, and something of a critic's darling. His new film, his ninth, has attracted even more critical acclaim, and his leading actor, Simon Rex, was voted, voted Best Actor by the Los Angeles Film Critics Circle and by the Independent Spirits Awards body, which I find totally baffling. A former adult actor, Simon Rex, appropriately here plays an adult actor, Mikey Davis, whose more recent performances on screen have somewhat slackened off, so to speak. And so he stumbles into early middle age and returns to the Texas backwater of his earlier life to try and make amends to all those he slighted. At first sight, he seems an agreeable enough sort of chap, polite, good looking, eager to please. And one wonders why he would leave Los Angeles behind for this hellhole. However, his estranged wife, Lexi, played by Brie Elrod, and his toothless monosyllabic mother-in-law, Lil, will have none of him. I honestly felt sorry for the guy. He was obviously doing his best, but soon it became apparent that he is all surface doesn't take long to work out where the film is going and it takes its own sweet time in getting there at the speed of an injured tortoise it is two hours ten minutes sean baker likes to pepper his cast with non-professional actors but you really need a knack for i, th I think for directing them to bring a naturalism to mm. the proceedings I, I wasn't convinced i just felt like i was watching real people who were very aware of the camera Although I did have a soft spot for the dentally challenged Brenda Dice as Lil. Yet while much of the cast looks awkward, Simon Rex is overacting manfully. And it's not an attractive sight. He's got this high-pitched one-note delivery. And he really got on my nerves. How he won the Best Actor Award at the Los Angeles Film Critics, I just don't know. <laughs> there is, however, Simon, one bright spark. And her name is Strawberry who works at a local establishment called The Donut Hole. And Mikey really does like a donut hole. Newcomer Susanna Son injects some spark into her character. Uh, she's 17, who is and obviously young enough to be Mikey's daughter, but is drawn to the outsider's dangerous charisma, for want of a better phrase. Sean Baker shot much of the action on the hoof, with barely any rehearsal time, and there is, I suppose, this underbelly sort of charm to it, which recalls the oeuvre of Harmony Corrine, 
if you are drawn to that kind of cinema set in a place called Texas City. I don't know if you are you familiar with Harmony, Corrine? Uh, yeah, I yes, I did. I'm trying to remember what the films were for a while. I mean, there were several of them, but I hated all of them. Well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're in agreement. Excellent, James. Uh, let us take a brief uh, breather. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to the big business of film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So we got down to number, not often we get down to number 12 in the chart with Red Rocket, which clearly I think you felt was and Clifford, long the big and red slow. dog. Well, yes, 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 yes. I'm trying to forget that. And we've got another red film, okay. which is on streaming. Is, I've heard a lot about, but can't see. Okay, so I can't believe I'm covering three films with red in the title um, chronologically. So uh, anyway, Disney animation has come a long way since Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1937. I don't think I'd ever see the day when a family skewed Disney film would use words like constipation and show <laughs> digitalized sanitary pads on screen. Maybe it's a good thing. The aim of turning red, the 25th feature from Pixar animation, is to take away the stigma of menstruation and introduce it as a topic of discussion and even of fun. There are moments that every young teen can identify with in this film as their mother steps in to normalise what is an intensely private transitional process. For me, May, an overachieving Sino-Canadian 13-year-old, puberty manifests itself as a smelly, hairy, giant red panda which makes me think that I completely missed the entire point of Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> Sometimes I can take things so literally. <clears throat> Although in Chinese folklore, red pandas represent good fortune and prosperity. Um, although for May, May, it is the pinnacle of embarrassment. Although she's arguably the most popular girl in school, a star pupil and a class swat, as well as being the apple of her parents' eye, and she actually loves housework. Yet in her own way, she is also a rebel. I am my own person, she tells us. Much of May is obviously inspired by the director's own childhood. Dermy Shi, who is the first woman to be solely credited with directing a Pixar film. In fact, she was the first woman to direct a Pixar short, Bao, which went on to win the Oscar and was the charming story of a dumpling with feelings who ends up being eaten by its overbearing mother. I don't know if you ever saw it. It went out with Incredibles 2, and I've now seen it twice, and it's just such an unusual piece. Anyway, May's mother is equally overbearing, voiced by Sandra Oh, and so the film is as much a period drama, in both senses of the word, as a tirade <laughs> against the institution of tiger motherhood. It's also resolutely set in Toronto, which is Dermishi's home city. And no surprises, Dermishi is also Chinese-Canadian. In fact, there can't be such an autobiographical film ever to emerge from the Disney-Pixar camp, all the more surprising as Turning Red cost upwards of $175 million. In some cases, I've heard that 
budget to be quoted as 200 million. It was due to open in cinemas when the Omicron variant in America prompted the powers that be to release it direct to its streaming platform, Disney Plus, in the tradition of Pixar's last two films, Soul and Luca. Is this a display of pussyfootedness from Disney, who felt they may be dealing with a hot potato? One argument is that family-skewed entertainment hasn't fared so well during the pandemic, but if Disney insists on showcasing their prized movies on the internet, how will we ever know? Analysts mm. still cite Tenet as an argument to keep films out of the cinema, but they forget that Tenet was a franchise-free title without box office stars, yet it still managed to gross $364 million worldwide, which says to me that audiences are hungry to return to the multiplex for big screen entertainment, mm. while in this country, No Time to Die and Spider-Man No Way Home have been breaking box office records, pandemic or no pandemic. I, I think what's going to be the real problem for cinema are people's fuel bills and the, the standard of living. They're just going to have to cut back somewhere. That's what worries me. But anyway, back to Turning Red. I think had Disney dared to release it in cinemas, it would have become far more of a talking point for all demographics rather than something savoured secretly in private family sitting rooms. Not only is it a deeply personal film for Domi Shi, it is even set in Toronto in the year 2002 when the director would have been more or less mm. the same age as her protagonist. Be that is, as it may, Turning Red is still a Pixar film, which means it is full of wit, is very funny, and has an ingenious plotline in which poor May has to battle with the twin demands of family commitment and peer pressure, something that every child has to deal with during every coming of age in history, except I think it's harder for, for Chinese girls. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the film's eponymous metaphor does rather get out of hand in the story's closing passages when everything just goes ghostbusters. I, I think it would have been a better and perhaps a braver entertainment if it hadn't felt the need to get so fantastical. A problem I found with another Sino-American film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which also start, started out in a familiar North American metropolis, San Francisco, and then went crazy at the end. For me, what is so engaging about Turning Red are the little moments of human recognition. The wonderful characters, in particular May's loyal trio of girlfriends, each re representing a different teenage type, and the humour about what girls go through when their hormones are in overdrive. Great songs too, from Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell. I, I really enjoyed this. I'm just so sorry it had to go just over the top in the final chapter. Mm. Okay, so that's Turning Red, um, which you can only see if you subscribe to Disney+. Plus. Unfortunately so, yes. <clears throat> but I know lots more people subscribe to Netflix, which is where you can see The Adam Project. Mm. Now, few major movie stars would appear to be as busy and productive as the producer and actor Ryan Reynolds. He's also one of the highest paid in the world, so he's obviously storing up a whole vault of cash. Within the last 12 months, we've seen him in The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Free Guy, Red Notice, 
and heard him as the voice of the cave boy guy in the crude's a new age and now he's starring in and producing the adam project just out on netflix and his star power and comic timing remains undimmed in fact he's usually the best thing about the films in which he appears although this time he meets his match in the young actor walter scoble from the mountains of colorado and a huge ryan reynolds fan incidentally who plays adam reed they make a wonderful double act bouncing terrific one-liners off each other with mounting sarcasm. It's almost like Walker Scobell is a younger version of Ryan Reynolds, which, as it happens, he is. The young Walker Scobell plays the titular Adam, who is the prototype of these sorts of films. The young Walker, I mean, he's picked on at school. He is extremely small for his age. He is 12 years old, and he is asthmatic asthmatic. Of course, he's also very smart and has a sharp wit that would make Ryan Reynolds think twice. Adam also lost his father over a year ago and so lives alone with his mother, Ellie, played by Jennifer Garner. And they are both dealing with their grief in different ways. Adam mainly deals with his through anger, which hardly makes Ellie's life any easier. However, she needs to move on and has gelled with a work colleague who has asked her out on a date, which she is reluctant to acknowledge as a date. But this is no ordinary household. Ellie and Adam live in a very sleek house on the edge of the woods. It looks just like Canada to me. I think it's probably where it's filmed. Mm. The dog is called Hawking, and Adam's father happened to be a scientist who was working on a particle accelerator with his colleague Catherine Keener when, yeah, he, was killed, yeah. <laughs> when he was killed in a car crash. <laughs> Now, when Ellie is out on her date, which isn't a date, Hmm. Adam hears a noise outside the house and discovers a strange man in his father's garage. That man who is wounded and lying on the ground is played by Ryan Reynolds, and Adam is determined to protect his turf. He already has a baseball bat in his hand, although his track record with defending himself is not great. The following scene between the boy and man is priceless, as the stranger is in no me no mood to be cross-examined by this nervous squirt of a child. I, I'm not going to tell you the story, you know. I don't try. I try not to do that, mm. but it no, comes as no surprise that this is a time-traveling film, and that Ryan Reynolds meets his younger self, and they are just too, Sa- terrific. It together. sounds quite a familiar idea from sort of sci-fi movies. I mean, is it worth watching obviously the your relationship between the two you say is good is it an enjoyable movie overall yeah because it knows where it's coming from and we know i mean the younger adam has seen back to the future and has a lot of questions right my god we've watched too many movies says the older reynolds oh, okay it is yep. very very funny it is very self-knowing it's directed by sean levy who previously directed oh, yes, reynolds yes. in free guy and is actually set up the helm the third deadpool film also with Reynolds, and it helps that he knows the genre he's working in, and he's got great performances out of his two Adams, and he certainly knows how to direct children. Obviously, he did Stranger Things. It's on Outflix now. I loved the first hour, and I thought it was almost a perfect movie, and then, of course, it goes all CGI, and too much kicking and combat and fighting at the end, but... So you'd sold me on it and then i think oh i don't mind the first quarter of an hour being duff but i don't want the last quarter of an hour uh, half an hour i, I being know duff. but oh. it, 
I mean, it's a, it's a jolly good movie. It's not a great movie. I'm thoroughly glad. So, I now, sadly, it. we are out of time, so we haven't really got time to talk about BAFTAs unless you can do so in about one sentence. Um, well, I think it was a very diverse uh, BAFTAs. I think it was great to see Jane Camion win, win Best Director for The Power of the Dog. She's the third female winner of the Best mm. Director Award. And, of course, she will be at the Oscars as well, following Catherine Bigelow and Chloe Zhao. Um, I thought Rebel Wilson was a between you and me, a much better host than Joanna Lumley. And she got a lot of laughs. And it was just great to see a huge auditorium packed with laughing movie stars. Yes. Well, let us see if it's a precursor for the Oscars. James, thank you very much indeed. My thanks to James Cameron Wilson. We'll be back with more of The Business of Film at the same time next week. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Easy, miss. I've got you. You've got me! Who's got you? I am not an animal! Where the devil are my slippers? <laughs>